0: Uh, good morning. My name is Sam. For anyone who doesn't know me, I have the distinct privilege to to serve as. Um A vocational elder here, and we're going to continue our series on the cast of Christmas this morning. We looked at the Magi and the Shepherd in week one. We saw how they reminded us that everyone has something to bring to Jesus, and that's what we're called to do, bring what we have for his glory. Last week we looked at Mary, and we looked at how she reminds us that we don't always have to understand God's plan perfectly to respond appropriately, and that appropriate response is a heart of praise and worship. And so as we continue to look at this cast of characters, these individuals who, whether we grew up churched or not, if we're familiar with the Christmas story, if we've heard it before, we've heard these names before, this week we come to Joseph, who plays a a very quiet role in this. Uh, He gets like seven verses, and that's it. but the lessons, what we see in his life, what he points us back to, are deep and profound and always of the utmost value. So if you would, before we begin, and we will be in Matthew 1, would you please stand out of respect for God's Word? This is Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. We cry out hallelujah. We cry out praise with everything in us. We so eagerly anticipate eternity when what we will do is cry out praise forevermore. May our lives reflect that anticipation. May our lives reflect that joy and that privilege to today cry out your praise. As we come to your word in a continuation of worship, may we submit to it. May we come under it. May it be your words that we hear today. Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with with this particular body of believers but you. To you and you alone be the glory and the praise. Teach us from your word as only you can. Burn away all the impurities Sanctify us, purify your bride. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. So we read seven verses, and honestly, Joseph really only gets two of them. I mean, we read seven because it tells kind of the start of Joseph and the end of Joseph's part, and at least this aspect of the story. But Joseph gets two verses. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And when he woke up, he did as the angel commanded. And that's what we get from Joseph. So there's not a lot, but don't mistake quantity for quality because what we see in these two verses are two foundational truths that define the message of the gospel, that define the biblical narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so these two aspects that we learn from Joseph should define our lives as well. And quite simply, that's grace and humility. You cannot separate grace from the biblical narrative. And therefore, I think it's only right that you cannot separate grace from this aspect of the story. See, Joseph, what did it say? It said, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. If you go back to Deuteronomy 22, if you go back to Mosaic Law, if a man and a woman were betrothed to be married, see, now we pick our engagement period. When Adeline and I got engaged, it was like, okay, when do we want to get married? Well, where are we getting married? Depends on the venue, things like that. Some people are like, hey, we were engaged two weeks. Some people are engaged 18 months if they're finishing up a degree or something. You know, like we we pick, it's flexible. It's really just what's convenient. Back then, there was a betrothal period that was at minimum a year. And you were considered married, but you weren't living together. And you didn't know each other as husband and wife. So that's where Joseph and Mary find themselves in. And if in that period of time, the woman became pregnant, it was because of one of several options. And if she was victimized, then there was a penalty enacted on the perpetrator. Or if she was pregnant and she wasn't victimized, then it was considered adultery. And one of the options available to Joseph was to go to the elders at the city gates and say, this woman who I'm betrothed to is pregnant and it's not mine, stone her. In society, under Mosaic law, would have said, you have every right to do that. There was another option where he could go to her family quietly and dissolve the betrothal. It would save her reputation. There were multiple reasons that you could dissolve the betrothal. He could just simply go to the family and say, one of the phrases they used was, I am no longer delighted by her. And that covered a bunch of things. And that was the option Joseph chose. And that was the option Joseph chose to pursue. And it's tempting for us to overlook this grace in Joseph's life because we know the full story, right? We know the details. We know that Mary was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit, because of immaculate divine intervention. So we know all the details of the story. So it's easy for us to overlook Joseph's grace because we're like, man, that would've been really harsh to punish her for adultery when she hadn't committed adultery. Guys, Joseph didn't have that information. Joseph was operating under incomplete information. You and I, every day of our lives, are operating under incomplete information. We are operating under imperfect information and awareness of everything that's going on. We're just, we're not, we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. In the situation Joseph was in where he didn't know everything, he chose to respond with grace. Do you and I choose to respond with grace in every situation when we've been wronged? When society, Christian society maybe even, Christian friends maybe even would say, you're right, you have a right to be this. Joseph said, I choose to respond with grace. Uh, Paul Tripp, talking about the Christmas story and talking about the biblical narrative as a whole, he describes it this way. He says, the Christmas story is about a God of glorious grace on the march invading human history with the grace of redemption. You cannot separate grace from Christianity. There's an anecdote I preface this with. I have zero clue if this is true or not. I like to think it's true because he's my favorite person of all time, C.S. Lewis, and there was a, a group of scholars gathered talking about global religions, and they were at a college university, or they were at a university campus talking about religions, and they were trying to figure out what one element made each religion distinct from every other religion around the world. And they got to Christianity, and they were laboring over it for hours. Well, maybe it's this. Maybe, you know, the God took on a different form. No, there are other re- And C.S. Lewis walked in the room, according to the story, and they say, he was like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, well, what's the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion? He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And he walked back out of the room. I, I like to think it's true. I don't know if it's true. But the lesson is true, that it's grace. It's grace that faith is built on. It's grace that everything hinges on, and you cannot parse it out. Joseph, in this story, in this one verse, Joseph points us back to a reminder of grace. And then what happens when he gets the rest of the information? You see absolute humility. The angel comes. Joseph, nope, you don't have all the facts. Here are the facts. Here's how you need to respond. And Joseph doesn't say, whoa, can we talk about this? I'm gonna need a little bit more. Like, okay, maybe I'll delay the divorce, but you gotta help me out here. Give me me a little bit extra. Like, I'd like to think on this for no, it says, He arose and immediately obeyed. There is an absolute humility of Joseph. I don't have all the facts. Okay, God, you do? I submit. That's what we looked at with Mary. She didn't fully understand. She says, Lord, you're in charge. I'm your servant. The life of Joseph points us to humility. And let's really consider the American church. Let's really consider our role in that each and every one of us as a building block of the church that presents a picture to the world, do we show grace and humility? When the observing world looks at the American church, when the observing world looks at the Richland County Church, when the observing world looks at Community Bible Church, when the observing world looks at Sam Belsterling, Joe Curry, Leanna Curry, as building blocks of Community Bible Church, Do they see grace and humility? They have to. We don't have options here. You can't point to a verse where it's like, well, grace applies except in this scenario. Humility is good except here in this case. Why? Because these things parallel and point us back to God's character. Grudem defines grace as God's goodness towards those who deserve anything but. He says, grace is God's goodness towards those who deserve punishment. And justly so. So when you see Joseph demonstrating grace and humility, it should draw our eyes back to God, back to the cross, back to Christ. Consider these verses This is John 1, 14-17. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Really just think about that for a second. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That verse is the fancy theological word, imputation. We are imputed with righteousness. So when God looks at us, when we stand before the throne, He sees the righteousness of Christ for those who are saved. He sees a name written in the book of life. Why? Because Jesus became our sin. That's grace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Uh, An author I was reading this week said it this way. It is either the absolute height of arrogance or the absolute depth of ignorance to think that we are sufficient and okay on our own. If I offered, I don't know, who are the rich people? Uh, Aaron Judge, he just signed, what, nine years, $400 jillion. But I said, hey, Aaron Judge, I've got 10 bucks for you. Is, is he excited about that? Is Aaron Judge going to be like, wow, man, Sam is generous. No, Aaron Judge doesn't even like 10 bucks. If I go to a starving person under the overpass and I say, hey, here's 10 bucks, that means a lot to him. Friends, if you and I can't admit that we're the starving person under the overpass, we're the drowning person in the middle of the ocean with a weight tied around our feet, if we can't admit that we need grace, that's where we have to begin. It all comes back to grace, and that is beautiful and encouraging. And it does not lower the standards. Don't abuse grace. Don't allow grace to become abused. It's not a lessening of the standards. Who is the most gracious one to ever exist? God. Who sets the highest standards of anyone who has ever existed? God. But that's what makes grace grace. That's what makes grace beautiful. Galatians 3:13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Wait a minute, what's that? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? Huh? Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, So if someone has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death. Every single one of us sitting here, joining us online, you and I all committed the crime punishable by death. Do not deceive yourself into thinking you're the exception in human history. We earned that tree. We earned those nails. We earned that shame. And God In his infinite love, in his infinite mercy, in his perfect grace, said, no, I'll become that curse. Read John. Read John 14 to 17. Read what Jesus says. Read where Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own authority. I take the curse upon myself. Guys, that's grace. That's unbelievable, unearned, unrelenting grace. It's incredible. It's why I'm wearing a shirt that points to it. We are saved by grace alone. Joseph reminds me of this, and such a small foreshadowing of God's grace. And like I said, it requires humility to admit we need this. Hebrews 4, 15-16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we can't admit we're in a time of need, we're not going to draw near to the throne. And this has eternal ramifications, and it has daily ramifications. There's a daily surrendering, a daily humility that is necessary to say, I cannot do today on my own. I cannot be a holy husband like I am called to be on my own. Ladies, you cannot be holy wives, holy moms, holy sisters. Men, you cannot be holy husbands, holy fathers, holy brothers. Church, you cannot be holy friends. We cannot be a holy church on our own. We are in dire need of help. And if we cannot admit this, if we make it so ashamed. So, oh man, so ashamedly, embarrassing, I can say that word. (laughs) If we are so embarrassed to admit we need help, then we're not going to draw near to the throne of grace. Please, if you're here and you're saved, don't be a believer who thinks that the work is over. Don't be afraid to admit you need help. I regularly text the elders, guys, I need help. Guess what? I've sent those texts on Sunday mornings. Before a service. Not in a good headspace today. I need help. I need prayer. The elders send each other texts. We need help. We need prayer. Let's be a church that's humble enough to admit we need help. Because the beautiful thing is, when we do, when we draw near to the throne, we find grace. We find grace upon grace. We find Jesus, the fullness of grace. Psalm 149 For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Also, check out Psalm 76, it's incredible. It's incredible that we get to find grace. That should fill us with joy every day. So then the question is going to be, when I consider who God is, when I consider this model that we see throughout Scripture, this standard of holiness, this standard of grace, when I see the humility of Christ choosing the cross, Choosing the life of a servant, choosing the blood, choosing the pain, choosing the suffering. When I look at Joseph in the Christmas story, we've got a little uh, Velcro Advent calendar, or December calendar. Violet loves to watch the pieces go up. The other day we put up Joseph. When I look at my little December calendar and I put Joseph up to count down the days, when I look at my nativity on the TV stand and I see Joseph... When I talk to Mr. Spicy Curry and realize, hey, his name is Joseph. Every time I hear that name, every time I see the story and I think of humility and grace, will I be a person who lives these out? Are you a person of grace and humility? Do these define your life? Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. What is his way? Grace. Zephaniah 2 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. We've looked at this word seek before, we have done deep studies on this word seek before. Do you remember what it means? It means a hunter going after his prey. It means someone who has taken the time to plot out where that prey will be, and I have done the work to prepare myself so that I will snag, I will get, I will go after and chase down and succeed in grabbing this thing that I am hunting. What are you doing to hunt down humility? What are you doing to plan for? Hey, this is where humility will be. These are the steps. This is the preparation I'm putting in so that I bag humility. Are we seeking humility? What are you actively doing? Not passively waiting for. What are you and I actively doing to humble ourselves in our marriage, in our job, in our church, in our community, God's people, those who hunger after Him, those who seek after Him, they're called to seek humility. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 10. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work i'm not equipped for this you believer yup cool you're equipped full stop no debate i'm sorry that's not an argument that verse is not open for discussion if you're a believer God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God doesn't give out scraps. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's not a prosperity passage, that's a holiness passage. God has supplied grace upon grace so that we may abound in every good work, that we may sow a harvest of righteousness and reap righteousness. Is that who I am? 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Peter 5.5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble this is who we're called to be this is who Joseph reminds us of Joseph reminds us that on our worst days God is a, is a god of grace if we would just humble ourselves before his throne what's first john say when we repent He's faithful and just to forgive us. Go before the throne of grace. Find it. Find grace in times of need. Find grace in times of help. Find grace in times of doubt. When the enemy wants you to think you're just a screw-up who can't get anything right, I mean, seriously, man, how many times are you going to fall into this same sin? How many times are you going to scream at that driver and then say, oh, right, I'm supposed to be gentle? Wow, you're a waste. No, when the enemy says that, you say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I know where to go to find it. And I've received it. I've received it eternally. Lord, remind me of your grace today. Forgive me. Joseph points us back to grace. Grace. Joseph points us back to humility. It's awesome. Where do these things flow from? Let's go back to Advent. Let's go back to the passage that they read at the start of this. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God, pay attention verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us so that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, let us love one another. We also ought to love one another. This is love. God was made manifest among us. Go back to John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory full of grace. Love drives this. Does love drive us? It's that simple. Does love drive us? Grace is not easy. You get betrayed by a family member, by a friend, by a coworker. You have a relationship blow up, and you know you can truthfully say, I stand before God and I handled this in a holy manner. Grace is not easy. Humility is not easy. It flies in the face of self. And boy, do we love to worship self. But if my eyes are set on the love of God for me, If my eyes, if my heart, if my mind is set on 1 John 4, this is love. Oh yeah, this is how I ought to love one another. Love drives these things. So are we people of love? Are we people of love for our Lord who showed us grace, who modeled humility and now calls us to the same thing? Acts 20.24 I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I do not account my life of any value outside of the opportunity to testify to the grace of God. I'm going to go out on a limb and say if that was true of Paul, that is definitely true of you and I today. If Paul's life had no value outside of testifying to the grace of God, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. We should, each and every one of us, want that verse inscribed on our tombstones. That I do not count my life as precious to myself. I do not count my life as valuable apart from testifying to the grace of God. What a great life What a great privilege each and every one of us have. I don't care about your age. I don't care about your career. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. I don't care what car you drive, what income bracket you're in. I could care less about those details because you have a beautiful opportunity wherever God has placed you to be a testimony to His grace. And none of those other details affect that. each and every one of us as believers has the privilege, the right, the honor, the joy to testify to God's grace. May our lives be such a testimony. May we look like Joseph. May we look like Jesus. This week as we consider these things, Let's read Romans 14, Ephesians 4, and Philippians 2. As we pray through the story of Joseph through these chapters, apply the Acts model. And then how do we imitate Jesus this week? Seek ways to practice and grow in humility. Seek ways to serve. I mean, seriously, think about it. Take 10 minutes this week and just write down, what is something I could do to aggressively and intentionally serve in my house? What is something I could do to aggressively and intentionally serve in my workplace? Seek it out. Hunt it down. Trap it. Go after it. Bag it. Get it. Extend grace. Let this be true of us.